I once heard a story about this Jewish rabbi who was making his way uh, along, I think, the coast of Galilee or something. That, that makes sense, the Sea of Galilee. Um, and, and he was making his way home. It was slowly getting dark. Uh, and he made his way to a fork in the road, and he was supposed to turn left to take him back to the village where he was from, but accidentally made a right, and soon found himself standing at the foot of this small Roman fortress uh, that was there, and he was a bit startled uh, whenever the voice of the centurion boomed out and said, Who are you, and what are you doing here? So he paused and just kind of said, What? And then the centurion said once more, who are you and what are you doing here? And the rabbi responded, how much do you get paid to ask me these questions? Well, then the centurion was confused and paused for a moment and responded, you know, three drachma a week. That's ancient money and stuff. And the rabbi responds, I'll pay you twice as much if you will come to my house and ask me those two questions every morning. Who are you? And what are you doing here? These are the things we've been talking about. Identity and mission uh, as we explore the book of Ephesians together. Now, if you've been here over the last kind of month and a half that we've been working through the book of Ephesians, you have, have literally over the last four weeks, including this week, heard a different preacher every week. Uh, which either means that we are a wonderfully blessed church or woefully cursed church to have so many different people coming up here. You've heard so many uh, different takes on the text, on Ephesians. And this morning, I'm here to offer mine. Um, I, as one who often leads us in worship and thinks through our liturgy, have been thinking about Ephesians as having this sort of liturgical progression. And so the first half of chapter one, I've been thinking of it almost as this call to worship where Paul writes, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he calls the Ephesians into worship God. And then the second half of chapter one uh, is, is this prayer that we, we just prayed together here. Uh, and, and so it's this, this time of prayer. He says, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then we get to chapter 2. In chapter 2, the, the first half of chapter 2 is kind of this, this moment in the liturgy of confession and assurance. Remember this from last week? You once were dead in your sins. But God has made you alive and seated you with Christ. This, this confession of sin and assurance of our life in Christ. And so here we arrive at, at the second half of chapter 2. And I'd like to suggest that this part of Ephesians functions as the passing of the peace. Because our passage this morning, Ephesians 2, uh, verse 11 through 22, the, the word peace appears four times. And so peace is, is shot through this, this whole uh, passage. And the passing of the peace is this moment um, in our service, that, that awkwardly long pause, right? I, I remember the, the first time I ever came, and I was like, this is a long little greeting time. It's not a little greeting time. 
uh, we're, we're still talking to each other. And, and that, that pause is, is not just awkwardly long because it takes some time to get kids out to their classrooms and parents back in. It is awkwardly long because fellowship and peace are central to our gathering every week. Central to the gospel that we gather to proclaim every week and to remind each other of. And so let's read this text together in which Paul begins to explain that peace that is so central to the gospel of Christ and the life of the church. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. It'll be on the screen uh, if you have some sort of device or Bible with you. I invite you to open it as well. Paul writes, Therefore, Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done by, in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the father by one spirit. Consequently, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we need you this morning. I need you this morning. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Would you help us to hear your word clearly? And would you be our peace? In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a long passage. Um, You know, it's, we've got seasoned pros like Randy, we've got Mark and Summer, and then we get this long passage and it just lands with me. And so I'm here to just do my best with what we have today. Um, I'm going to do my best to kind of simplify uh, what, what we have here and, and just kind of move us through the movements of these three key phrases 
Uh, in verse 11, Paul begins, remember you were. And then down in verse 13, he says, but now in Christ. And then in, our, in the last section, uh, beginning in verse 19, he says, consequently, you are. So those are the things we're going to walk through this morning. It's a good old-fashioned three-point sermon, um, which I think that three-point sermon thing might come from Paul, uh, because there's a lot of, of things in threes through, through the passage that will just happen. So here we are. Um, remember you were, but now in Christ, consequently you are. Beginning with this first bit, back in uh, verse 11, Paul writes, remember you were. And he begins to talk about how the people who he is writing to have been divided from one another. He says, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision. Okay, he, he refers to circumcision as this, this symbol of what has divided them. And circumcision is, is this interesting uh, thing that is, is a very, very personal symbol um, that uh, shows up throughout uh, these different texts. And it's a marker of many ways that they've been divided. On the one hand, it's a marker for the Jewish people. So it's kind of this racial division. But on the other hand, it's a sign that's only available to women, or to men. And so, whoa, <laughs> got to stick to the notes here. It's a sign that's only available to men. And so it, it's in some ways excluding women. Um, it's this gendered division. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, so, so race and gender is dividing them. Well, it's a good thing that was thousands of years ago and we've come so far. Or not. Right? These two things are central to the things that divide our society. We have prison, pay gaps, the statistics are crazy, that there's racial inequality wildly with those who are in the prison system, that there's these massive pay gaps uh, with men and women working the same jobs. And, and we're up here in Seattle, you know, it's very progressive, we're, we've, we've come so far. Actually, Seattle has a massive racial divide north and south, and living condition divide north and south. And the booming tech industries that are here have so far to come when it comes to gender equality and both pay and opportunity. Just a few weeks ago, Seattle Times had an article about that. And so there's, there's a long way to come. Th these divisions are, are not strange to us at all. And so throughout the passage, Paul speaks of this dividing wall of hostility between people, and he uses circumcision as this example. But I wonder what that is for us. What, what is our dividing wall of hostility? You know, I, we, we've talked about these big societal divisions, but what about personally? Who are the people that you are divided from? My guess is that most of us don't really harbor much outright hostility toward others. 
we're here in the Northwest. It's, we're pretty chill. In fact, we, we pretty hardcore avoid conflict. In fact, we avoid conflict so much that actually might be a barrier to intimacy. It's often called the Seattle freeze, right? We're friendly, we're nice, we smile at each other if we happen to accidentally bump into each other on the bus and we're forced to. Um, but after a while, we hit a wall. And it's not a wall of hostility, it's just kind of this wall of nice. And so as we continue kind of exploring what Paul is saying, how might we overcome that? The things that come between us and others, maybe it's not hostility, maybe it's just our own comfort. That we'd rather not get involved in other people. Paul calls us beyond that. And so Paul's painted this picture of division, but he doesn't stop at how they're divided from one another. He also uh, talks about the way in which they are separated from God. In verse 12, he writes, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship and Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. And so the way that they are divided from one another is also causing them to be divided from God, separated from God. And this reminds me of just a moment before the passage we read earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you know, if you come to the altar to offer your gift, you know, this moment of worship, uh, but you remember that there's something between you and your brother or your sister, leave your gift there and go be reconciled. Then come back and offer your gift. That our relationships with one another are so bound up with our connection to God as well. And this is what Paul writes. And so he's speaking to the Gentiles specifically, which is this weird word that shows up in our Bible translations. It's actually just the word nations. The Greek word is the word ethnos, which is where we get the word ethnicity. Um, and it, it more literally is just translated nations. Uh, the, the worldview is that there is the nation, Israel, and then the nations, the Gentiles, everyone else. And so he's addressing the Gentiles specifically and says that they are separated from God's promise. And this is us. We're Gentiles. I don't, I don't think maybe, maybe someone here is a Jew. I don't know, but I, probably not. Most of us are Gentiles. This is us. And I think many of us can actually resonate with the description that Paul gives. Have you ever felt separated from God? Estranged from community? Living day after day without purpose or hope. This is how God, or this is how Paul describes the separation from God. But separation goes both ways. The Gentiles were separated from God's promise. And the Jews are separated from God's purpose whenever they're divided. Um, now Paul's going to say this more specifically later on, but what I mean by that is that God chose the nation of Israel not because he likes playing favorites, uh, but rather because it was his purpose to redeem and reconcile the world through them. And so whenever they are divided from the rest of the world, uh, they're, they're missing out on God's purposes of redemption, of reconciliation through them. And this is true for us as well in the church 
So often the church has become yet another dividing wall in society. But that's not what God has called us to. Back in chapter 1, we read that we were chosen and predestined according to the purpose of his will. God has chosen and predestined us not to play favorites and cause further divisions, but rather to call us into his redeeming work. That's what we've been predestined for. The reconciliation of the world and our part in that. And so Paul has has put together all these pieces of ways that people are divided from one another and ways in which people are, because of that, separated from God. And so where does he go after that? Where does the passage go next? Does he then bring out some commandments and say, all right, you guys need to get it together, like be at peace with each other, be kind to one another? No, that's actually not where he goes. He goes to Jesus. Verse 13, this is the big sort of shift of this passage. Just like the first half of the chapter, you were dead, but now have been made alive. Paul says, you were separated from one another and from God, but now in Christ, verse 13, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, I was wrestling with this this middle section all week because there is so much in here, um, and I wanted to switch into teacher mode and be like, all right, let me tell you all about like how this, you know, the the verb constructs and like I was reading through the the sort of Greek phrases. It's very interesting, and we don't have time for that. So for the sake of the sermon, I'm just going to narrow in to talk about Jesus because He is the one who heals our divisions. He is the one who reconciles us to God. Throughout this section of the passage, Jesus is the central actor. This is still about him. He's not commanding us anything. He's not telling us what to do. Um, This is about what Jesus has done. He is the one who makes two groups one. He is the one who destroys the dividing wall of hostility. He is the one who set aside in his flesh the law's commands and regulations. And this is all underscored at the start of the section in verse 14, where Paul says, for he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. Peace is not merely accomplished by Christ. Peace is Christ. And this is the difference between self-help methods, and Christian faith. This is the difference between social justice movements and the movement of the Holy Spirit. Social justice movements have a good vision for the world, but they lack the power to change it. Only Christ can change hearts. Only Christ, as it says, has the power to create a new humanity. Jesus doesn't just accomplish peace. He is our peace. And another implication of this has to do with what uh, Summer said a couple weeks ago when she said that joy is available to us regardless of our circumstances. And the same is true of peace. 
Peace is not the absence of conflict and chaos. Rather, it is the presence of Christ. Christ is our peace. And we see this in how he has dealt with the hostility that's between all of us. Again, I said there's so much to look in here. I'm going to pull out three phrases that uh, Paul, Paul uses. How has Christ taken this hostility? What has he done with it? Well, he has dealt with the hostility by his blood, in his flesh, through the cross. That's verse 13, 15, and 16. By his blood, in his flesh, and through the cross. So I'm going to talk about each of these real quick. First, our hostility has been covered by his blood. His blood covers the sin of our hostility toward one another. It's because of Jesus' death on the cross that the hostilities we have committed can be forgiven, and the hostilities committed against us can be healed. We're covered by his blood. But he's also dealt with it in his flesh. And we're used to seeing the cross as this place where our individual sins are covered. And it is that. But it's, it's more than that. Because this uh, passage shows us this slightly different picture. Jesus did not only take on the wrath that our sins deserve but he actually took on the wrath that our sins caused. He bore in his body, in his flesh, the hostility of both the Jews and the Gentiles. Because it was the Jews who took Jesus at night through the sort of mock trial um, and then called him guilty, sent him off to the Gentiles to have him crucified. Jesus bore the hostility of both Jew and Gentile. And he took that in his own flesh. He has absorbed our hostility. He has exposed our hostility toward one another. It's this moment where, you know, you have two people fighting one another, and then this third party comes in, and that third party actually is the one who gets attacked. Maybe you've done this as a parent with children. Um, Jesus went in to the hostility and he took it on himself. And so by his blood in his flesh and also through the cross, the cross covers our hostility. It exposes and absorbs our hostility, but it also shows us a way other than hostility. The cross shows us that there is a way of self-sacrifice rather than self-promotion. It shows us that there is a way of reconciliation rather than revenge. It shows us that there is a way of peace rather than hostility. So by his blood, in his flesh, and through the cross, Jesus has taken on our hostility and showed us another way. And it says all of this that it was his purpose to create a new humanity, and reconcile us to God. In verses 15 and 16. So 
just want to say real quick, throughout the letter, we've encountered this multiple times. There are these times whenever Paul will say, okay, so he'll, he'll say a bunch of stuff and then go, this was for the purpose that. Or he'll say, it was because of this, that. And these are, these are you got to underline that if you're a Bible underliner. You know, that's the kind of thing that like you got to zoom into this because he's saying something important here. The purpose of all that Christ has done was to create a new humanity and reconcile us to God. So we were divided from one another and separated from God. But now Christ has created a new humanity, one humanity out of the two who were divided, and he's reconciled us to God. He's identified our divisions. He's explained what Christ has done about it. And so, so now, finally, this last part of the passage, he's going to give us commands, right? He's going to tell us what to do? No, still not. He still doesn't. Because his words are not, therefore you should. Rather, his words are, consequently, you are. He doesn't give us instructions. He gives us identity. And so this final section Consequently, you are. He uses three pictures to talk about our state now after Christ has renewed us and recreated us. He says we are fellow citizens. We are members of his household, a family. And we're a holy temple built up together. I wonder which which of those pictures do you resonate with the most these are no small things citizenship family and a temple you know we we have a number of engineers here who could probably talk about what buildings are like and how they function this is the image that paul uses right most of us have exposure to uh to family and know that that that's that's a difficult difficult thing to navigate Fellow citizens, citizenship. You know, if anyone here uh, works in the legal world, there's so much revolving around citizenship, rights that people have and don't have, whether someone's allowed to be in a place or not. Paul says, we are fellow citizens, members of God's family, and a holy temple. And I'm going to just say a couple things about each of these. And, and bring us home. <laughs> uh, citizenship. This picture, I think, shows that each person has dignity. That no longer are there racial and gender divisions among the people of God, as there were in, in circumcision. The new sign that we have is baptism, which is available for men and women equally, which is available for Jew and Gentile, that we are fellow citizens. Everyone has dignity in the kingdom of God. Also, we are members of his household. We're family. We all belong to one another. There should be no more hostility. The church is not meant to be yet another dividing wall in our world. It's not meant to be a place of hostility and conflict and pain. In fact, 
the church came about as a result of Christ knocking down the dividing wall of hostility. But we're so good at building walls, aren't we? I love what Mark said a couple weeks ago about how the church is meant to be a sanctuary, a safe place. And man, my prayer is that this little part of God's church would live into its name. Sanctuary church. May we be a safe place without hostility, without dividing walls, a people who love our neighborhood well. And we practice this being members of God's family each week when we gather around the table together. It's a family meal. And we all come here together. And finally, we're a holy temple. The temple is not a place where we go. It's the people who we are. And this temple is not yet finished being built, right? That's what he says. It's kind of strange. It's that this temple is being built. It's sort of this organic image of a temple growing and moving and and changing. And because we're still being built, that means that things will still be a little messy sometimes. I mean, just look around downtown Seattle. Buildings are being built left and right everywhere. Okay, we, the holy temple of God, are under construction. We're being built into the temple. But as we are built into that temple, together we are filled with the presence of Christ, who is himself our peace. And so my hope for us, as we sort of sit in these words this morning, is that we can be a people who are not merely at peace with one another, but rather people who carry the peace and presence of Christ everywhere we go. Our goal should not be merely to avoid conflict, but rather to live in the presence and reality of Christ to live in our identity of who Christ has made us to be. And so bringing us back to that passing of the peace, that awkwardly long pause in the middle of our service that we do every week. What if, rather than simply smiling and chatting with each other, which is nice and good to do, what if we took that moment to look deeply into one another's eyes and affirm you are a fellow citizen. You are a member of God's family. We are a holy temple filled with the spirit, the peace of Christ. Maybe it would be silly to do that, but maybe it would be true.